Good evening, and God bless you tonight. Certainly welcome all of you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus to be at Hickory Bible Tabernacle, and we're thankful to have all of you with us tonight. God is good despite everything that's happening around us. Our testimony and our declaration is that God is good, and he cares for every one of us, and I know that he is the one who orchestrates all things. He owns everything. He guides us through everything, and we're thankful for that. We want to welcome all of our HBT folks, and it's certainly good to have you. certainly great to hear from you. Uh, you should get your amen uh, corner working this evening, and uh, let me know that you're there. Uh, it's just a, a real blessing to be able to have that interaction with you uh, while we have the service. And uh, for all of you that are guests and visitors, we're welcome, uh, all of you too, and, and uh, honored to have you with us here uh, tonight. This is a Wednesday night, good night to be studying scripture together and uh, to be uh, wading into the things of God that are uh, pertinent to our time that we live in. I believe that it's important for us to minister stability in times of trouble. And that's one of our jobs as ministers is uh, to be able to do that. And in order to do that, we have to have that. Um, and I will tell you something that uh, the enemy works overtime to try to create instability in whatever way he can. We know and he knows he cannot right the ship. He cannot uh, turn the ship over. He cannot capsize the bride of Christ. But he can certainly make the seas rough. And so it's important for us to put out the stabilizers tonight and uh, to know that he is with us is certainly a great thing. So I had it on my heart uh, as I was studying to just take this thought a little bit further, the advantage of knowing God. And uh, we want to read tonight from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. And we'll take a reading there from the scripture tonight. Very common, very simple reading uh, from uh, the word of God tonight. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. Let's read together. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are always, Lord, honored and humble to come into your presence, Lord. We are thankful that we have such a great solid anchor, Lord, to tie ourselves to especially in times of, of great struggle and times of uncertainty. We know, Lord Jesus, that you always uh, are planning, Lord. You're always working in our lives. You're never surprised by events that take place. And so, Lord Jesus, our rest and our hope is in you. We invite you, Lord, to come now and speak to our hearts and to be our strength and our portion tonight. Lord, be the healer for those who need it. We just pray that you who uh, made our bodies, Lord, that you would be one to bring healing to them. And Lord, for all those who are reaching out for that touch tonight, I just commit them to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those that are suffering, struggling emotionally and mentally, Lord, maybe in their home, Father, we place them into your hands now and ask that your spirit would draw near to them to bring comfort and peace sometimes where there is no peace. You're still Jehovah Shalom, and so we count on that tonight, Lord. We thank you, O God, for protecting us and keeping us from all sickness, and we ask, Lord, that you would just be very present tonight to reveal the word to us, because, Lord, we can study it and we can talk about it, 
But Lord, we know you're the revealer of it. And so we depend upon that. We just want to say tonight, Lord, that we, we just so love you and thank you for how you provide. We thank you, Lord, for how you go ahead of us, how you prepare the way for us. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you quicken the word for us and we'll give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, we certainly welcome you uh, again tonight and uh, just wanted to make a couple of announcements here very quickly. Um, there was a couple of people apparently who have never mailed anything to the church before and wound up mailing things to our street address on Robinson Road. We do not and we cannot receive mail on Robinson Road. And so everything should be sent to the P.O. Box uh, in order to get to us. That address is on our website, P.O. Box 715 Hickory, North Carolina. So if you don't mind uh, sending that, I think some of you sent some things there and got it returned. And if you could uh, just resend it to the post office box, that would be really great. Uh, there were some people who um, sent uh, some of their uh, their tithing and designated it for uh, the work that's ongoing uh, in Africa for the people over there who are uh, definitely hurting and uh, struggling over there and some without work and without any means to supply their family. And I do believe that it's right to pay tithing on the stimulus payment if you have received it. And uh, the people in Africa were very thankful. I got word back today. Uh, they're very, very thankful for that support. I mean, $50 in their uh, currency goes a long way. And so the teachers who received funds today, they were very thankful. I just want to say as well that um, I'm very thankful for Brother Elias in getting uh, the internet connection already in his church. And they have established a YouTube channel and they've been putting some uh, little pieces of archive material on there. Some of the meetings that I, I was attending in February when we dedicated the church. And so uh, it's uh, that's just been a great blessing. And uh, they are uh, borrowing a little bit of equipment in order to set things up. And, and they're not uh, perfected yet. They're not. Um, they don't have everything that we have in order to do the streaming, but they are connected and that's tremendous to be able to get that done because they started Monday morning and now they're connected to the internet and already putting things up on a YouTube channel. So I will send you the link for that so you can uh, look at it. Of course, the preaching would be in Swahili, so it gives you a chance to brush up on your Swahili and uh, you'd be able to uh, follow along if you can understand them. Ask you to remember Sister Angie Pruitt as well. And uh, we have some unspoken prayer requests that are very special. Uh, we'd ask you to remember those needs in prayer and just trust that the Lord will uh, undertake for the folks that are going through difficulties. Now, uh, let's uh, take our thought here and let's just jump in. Uh, we talked a little bit about this advantage of knowing God. And um, as I thought about this after Sunday, uh, there are many, many advantages uh, of knowing God, many, many real reasons that we should be thankful that we know him and very thankful that he knows us uh, because we'd still be wandering in darkness. We'd be headed for the tribulation. We would be out of fellowship and out of sync with God if he did not know us. But to know him is life and to know him is peace. And even when the world's falling apart, and it is, 
it's still a very uh, uh, comforting thing to know that uh, you know his, you know him by his word, and uh, we can trust in that, and we can uh, count on whatever he said as coming to pass eventually. And so we are uh, mindful of the grace of God that uh, has appeared to us and revealed himself to us and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So uh, in, the, uh, in the shaken time that we live in, uh, it's very important for us to operate from the right position. That's a position of faith. You remember Enoch was taken off the earth by faith. And uh, when we operate from a, a, a right position, uh, then we have stability, then we have strength. And God will juggle things until we get to the right position. And I believe that's what God's doing now, is to juggle things until we get to that right position. Uh, you remember when God gave Noah the message, Noah never had to alter anything that God said. But he just had to create the thing that God had commissioned him to create and to build uh, in order for his word uh, to come to pass. So God knew what he had said to Noah was right, and Noah knew what God said was right. Noah just worked his way to that place of fulfillment, and it never required altering the message, and that's what's very important. In the same way that when Elijah chose Elisha, uh, he never altered the mantle to fit Elisha, but rather God worked on Elisha to be able to fit the ministry or the role that God had for him. So we never need to alter the Word of God. We never need to change or try to uh, uh, interpret the Word of God our way. The message is right. The Bible is right. And so what we need to do is work towards the position that we need to be in in order for that Word to be fulfilled. And that would be the greatest challenge that we would have, and that's a very difficult thing. And as we talked a little bit about on Sunday, that uh, when it comes to um, the, the emergencies and the crisis that arise, we generally tend to respond naturally as human beings. We naturally tend to respond to that emergency and jump into action. We begin to seek God. We begin to you know, make um, preparations. But the difference between natural desperation and spiritual desperation is that uh, a believer already knows that God knows what lays ahead. And so he's never shocked or surprised because God has a way of giving warning prior to the events that take place. And so even though uh, we may not have dates and times of everything that's going to take place, we know that there's going to be certain events that have got to transpire until uh, God's word comes fully to pass. Okay, so let's just, uh, let's just uh, make a... Um, a foray into the word here, and let's just look at some of these statements here. Brother Branham said in 1964, Our Heavenly Father, we are told that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Father, we pray that you'll impart to us the context of this reading. So we pray, Father, that we'll have understanding tonight by the revelation. May the Holy Spirit reveal to us the things that pertaining to us in this day. It's all hid in this great mystery of God that's been since the foundation of the world, for we ask it in Jesus' name. So that's why Brother Branham said that Noah's word would never have worked in Moses' time. And Moses didn't go back to Noah's word. Uh, they, they dealt with, they walked in the light of the word for their day. Uh, Noah's, Noah's word involved the building of an ark of safety because it was going to rain. But Moses didn't have to worry about that. That was not the kind of judgment that God was going to bring on the earth in that day. You just needed to be in Goshen in Moses' day. And in, and in Noah's day, you needed to be in the ark. 
So they're two very different places, but God always has a place of safety. So in Brother Brandon praying this way, he's saying the same thing to us, that the Holy Spirit uh, is required to reveal to us the things that pertain to us in this day. Otherwise, you're not going to know where to be. You're not going to know what uh, foundation to stand on. And it's all hidden God's great mystery. So God had a mystery for every generation and every age that's been since the foundation of the world. So that's what uh, that's what needs to happen. The, the place and the word is already there. It just needs a revealer to deposit it or open it in our hearts. That's what's very important. All right. Now, as a, again, a little review, just a couple of slides here in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told the disciples, it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So the world looks at this with a partial understanding. They look at it through a glass darkly, like believers did through the ages. They also look at it with their own um, option for interpretation, if you like. Without having a prophet, without having somebody that can give us a definitive, thus saith the Lord, you're bound to lean back on the best teacher you can find. You're going to go to whatever source that gives you an interpretation of the word of God that you like. That's why there are so many denominations because if people don't like an interpretation or they don't like a particular way that the word of God is defined, then they're going to go to something else and they're going to go to someone else. And so therefore, it's important for us to understand that God has a particular mystery for our day and it'll come through God's ordained channel and not another way. And it's not for us to pick and choose, well, we like this and we don't like that. And we like something else. It's always God's ordained way. And we know that. That's elementary to us. Daniel 70 week, God don't have those things, these things out of cater. He's just letting it run like that for a little time. And I truly believe that thing was done in these last days is when God's going to reveal these secrets to the church. He hasn't done it before. And the reason he hasn't done it is to keep the church watching and praying all the time, not knowing when it was coming. Remember in Daniel chapter 12, the wise shall understand in the last day. So we know, according to Brother Branham's drawing, that when he looked at the vision of Daniel, and the stone was cut out without hands and came down and smote the image in the feet. Um, then it comes to the place where uh, God in smiting kingdoms, uh, now we know that um, we, we are talking about smiting spiritual kingdoms where God breaks through every denomination to let the people of God come into the light, to let the elect come to the light. Now, we know that, for instance, like in communism, God allowed the rock, uh, the, the, the very, um, very difficult curtain of communism to fall apart or to separate enough to be able to get the message in and to be able to get the Jews out because the Jews had to be back in their homeland. So even though nations may feel like that they are strong and they are, they are walled in, God has his way of, of creating an opening so that the message can come in to deal with the elect in that nation because the elect come from every kindred tongue and nation. And then also to be able to let the Jews out so they can come back into Israel again. And these are the days when that's supposed to be taking place. So God is doing this and we, we, are, uh, we are made aware of the time that we're living in because we see those things happening. 
and and the Jews would not be um, allowed to travel back to Israel if it wasn't that time. And we know that the elect would not have the opportunities to know God uh, like we do in this age if it wasn't that end time. But the Bible says in Daniel chapter 12 that the wise shall understand uh, in that hour. So we're, we're, we've got many, many signs. And, and again, this is elementary. We have many, many signs and, and indications and the visitation of a prophet, the fulfillment of scripture, Malachi 4, and many other places that tell us definitively we are living in the last day. And in that last day, an understanding is to come to the bride of Christ, uh, not to the church because they're looking for oil for their lamp, but to the bride of Christ, there is light about the evening time. And they're able to walk in that light and to be able to not only to reflect that light and shine, but they're also able to know the way that God has ordained for us. I've said this, this has been kind of a, a theme for me over the last little while. All right, carrying on in the same quote here, Brother Random said it's been given to him. The elect of God, the spirit of wisdom comes into the church to make known to the church by the revelation of the Holy Ghost, bringing the church in and revealing what day we're living in. Just the same as Gabriel come to Daniel, the Holy Spirit comes to the church in the last days. Now, remember, Brother Branham is referring to the bride here. He separates the bride and the church when it comes to the seals and page 139 of the seals there. And he says the Holy Spirit comes to the church like Gabriel came to Daniel in the last day to reveal these great, deep, secret things. So the hearing of the word today comes as a result of the Holy Spirit coming to us to reveal specific things to us. That number one, let us know what day we're living in. And if you work backwards, if, if you've got a revelation of what day you're living in, if you're living truly in the end time, then you can go back and look in the scripture and find out everything that pertains to the end time and realize, okay, within those promises, God has blessings for the bride of Christ. So that's a wonderful thing. So it isn't a question of necessarily studying the promises and then coming to the conclusion we're at the end time. One of the first things that God does is reveal to you the time that we're living in, and then the scriptures open up in terms of uh, what pertains to the end time. And, and uh, that's just tremendous when you know exactly where you are on the timeline. When you're, when you're aware of where you are on the timeline, then you know how to prepare. And that's what's important. All right, trust that you're okay with everything so far. Uh, let's keep going here a little bit further. This is the quote on desperation. And Brother Branham said, usually it takes a state of emergency to throw us into desperation. It's too bad it has to do that, but human beings are slothful in their mind that it takes an emergency. So for instance, let's just stop here for a minute. Uh, there's a lot of people who really took a good look at their uh, finances, for example. They look, took a look at their finances when this economic shutdown began. Most people prior to that figured, you know what? I'll go back to work on Monday, I'll work till Friday, and get a paycheck, and work will be there. When that income is threatened, all of a sudden they <laughs> their antenna go up and they're looking at their income, they're looking at their uh, load of debt, they're looking at all those different factors as soon as, uh, as, soon as an emergency comes. That's what he means by being slothful. It's not that we really don't care. We do care. Uh, it's a matter of, of looking at this and realizing, uh, my goodness, maybe maybe it would be good now 
to go back and take a look at this again, you know, maybe it would be good once we get back on track again to look at this so we don't have such a shock if we have another emergency uh, that comes our way. Uh, there's a, a lot of things perhaps that we could do that we could put in place or things that we could change, maybe things that we could begin to pay off uh, when we get back into earning a regular income again. Uh, I mean, just think of all the money you're saving now not going to Starbucks and just think of all the money that you're not spending in gas, even though gas is almost a giveaway prices. You think about all of the uh, money that you're saving by not shopping so much in a store. And uh, I'm just giving that as an example. So, of course, the people, we know that uh, all the brothers are not shopping in stores, but they're doing all the honeydew projects that they've stored up for years and years and years are now all being done. It's just amazing. Every time that I pass by our Lowe's or Home Depot in our town, there's hardly a parking slot in the whole parking lot because people are in there buying supplies to, to do all those jobs they put off for a long time. Either way, the idea is, is that we tend to respond when the emergency arises, and that's natural desperation. I believe that Brother Branham's getting something across to us that's important in that we need to think about, and the Holy Spirit alerts us to things that we need to care about and act on uh, prior to the emergency happening, and only the Holy Spirit can can help us do that, and he's very good at doing that, to alert us, and sometimes it's just a leading, and sometimes it's just something that is maybe dropped in in a sermon that speaks to your heart, and it triggers things. It puts you into action and it causes you to say, you know, we, we need to make some changes here and we need to be doing this. We need to, uh, you know, maybe look at our home situation. We need to look at, um, you know, our, our education or completing things that we started, uh, finishing particular uh, jobs or uh, pursuing certain goals that we set about and maybe we got slothful about. Whatever it is, uh, spiritual desperation it certainly involves acting prior to the emergency because you know that God is going to fulfill his word. So if we know that there's a tribulation, if the promise is that there's going to be a tribulation, then we want to learn to do everything we can prior to that because the promise for the bride is that we're going to leave before the tribulation fully kicks in. We understand a little bit better about what a squeeze is, but a squeeze is not tribulation. A squeeze precedes tribulation. So, Lord, in this time of pressure, let me act upon your promises now because I know if this is true, that's also true. The, the tribulation is also true. So I want to do everything I can to be ready to go, and that's what's important. So <clears throat> we, uh, we want to... Uh, uh, keep that principle in mind. It's actually a very, very sound principle. Now, if, if you have your Bible here, I, I love this. I love this little story. I've got it marked in my Bible here, in Second uh, Kings chapter six, and this is a story of Elijah, Elisha, sorry, and his servant. And uh, we read this little passage on Sunday where the king of Syria got everybody in his court together and said, "Which of you is for the king of Israel?" Because every time we go to wage war, uh, they know about it. 
and some of you is telling the secrets. You're betraying the secrets uh, of our kingdom to the Israelites. And one of the servants said, Nay, my Lord, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Now, that's one part of the story. If you go a little bit further in the reading, and you're welcome to look at this in Second Kings chapter 6, the Bible then tells a story of how that uh, Elisha said, go and spy, or sorry, the king of, of Syria said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And somebody said, he's in the town of Dothan. And therefore he sent thither his horses and he compassed about the city of Dothan, which would have been a very small little town, but he was on the hills round about uh, the, the town of Dothan. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, uh, he went to the market, went into town and he was going to buy some victuals in there. And uh, he looks up and he sees all of the horses and chariots and all the band of the enemy that's gathered there uh, to capture Elisha and, of course, probably kill his servant. So he knows exactly, uh, you know, what, what lays ahead here. And he answered and, and uh, he, he runs and tells Elisha and he said, my goodness, look at the amount of soldiers that are against us. So now he's, he's reacting naturally. But I want you to look at how Elisha reacts now. He's got the spirit of Elijah on him. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, a mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Only God has the ministry of opening open eyes. Only God can open open eyes. And Elisha's servant, Gehazi, was looking at the, all of this, and he, and he looks at that number. And then when his eyes are opened spiritually, uh, remember now, we've got a prophet who understands God's already given this king and his soldiers into his hands. So he's not worried at all about this. He's got, hey, listen, he, he's, his attitude is, God's got this, not a problem. God, we, we, we've got this, hey, this is all under control. And the, the the servant Gehazi is looking at this very naturally, but when God opens his open eyes, he sees that, hey, there's more of us than there are with them. But now I want you to go a little further in the story, because now it says that when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord. So this army advances and uh, they're, they don't realize it, but they're sandwiched between the host of, of the Lord and between Elijah and his servant. And, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, smite this whole army with blindness and he did, 19 says, and Elisha said unto him, this is not the way, neither is this a city, but follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So the the, the uh, Syrian army is blinded, and they're being led by Elisha, the man that they've come to, to capture, and uh, he leads them right to Samaria. And it come to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst thou smite these whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Now, I just—I mean, there's a lot of great things here, a lot of great uh, lessons that we can learn. But one of the things is this, is that when God's in control, there's no desperation like we naturally feel, uh, like Gehazi felt when he looked at those uh, enemies that are there. In, in God, there's no desperation like that. 
God's in control. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the future. Uh, he's not intimidated by numbers in any way. You remember I told you before that God is not uh, bothered by a few because he knows the potential. He knows what's going to come out of that. But also the uh, the host of the Lord is a very great number, and so uh, God was not afraid at all. So when you tap into that, uh, and Elisha did, there's a piece about that. And, and that piece followed him all the way down, even to where he was advising the king and saying to the king, look, just look after them. They've done, they've done nothing to you. Just feed them and send them on their way. And they put set great victuals before them. And the repercussions of that was long term. They never came back to harass that king in his, in his reign. And, and that's a great thing. But let me tell you, you only get that piece when you tap into the mind of God. When you tap into the revelation uh, that that uh, God has, that's the advantage of knowing God. That's the advantage of uh, of being a follower of God and someone whom God reveals his word and his will to. So it's like, hey, I don't need to know everything. I don't need to have my eyes open to everything. I just need to know that God's in control. And that should not be hard for us. That should not be a difficult thing for us. Because, uh, you know, God's word is eternal and, and God's word is true. So I, I think that's a very simple but very important lesson for us to learn. Now, let me just uh, back up just a little bit and say this, that uh, when it comes to uh, the important things and the advantages of knowing God, let me just make a blanket uh, statement here that the most important thing to us. And and when you stand back and think about it, if I lost everything, you know what? It would be okay, but I don't want to lose eternal life. And we know we cannot lose eternal life, but eternal life is a very, very important thing for us because you know what? No matter if you lose everything in this life, you'll gain it in the next one to come anyway. And more besides heaven is real. Hell is also real. And there is nothing more important than embracing those two realities. It's very important for us to get a handle on the fact that those two things are real. And God has a way to himself, and there are not multiple ways. If there are multiple ways, it would have been unfair for God to send Jesus uh, to the cross to die for us, or to come himself in the form of man to die for us. There is a uh, there is a way to God, and like the scripture says, by grace are you saved through faith. It is not anything that any of us are ever in a position to earn. We know that's very true. Brother Branham says it simply this way in 1953. Man has always tried to save himself and do different things to be saved by, but it's never has been in the New Testament by any works of our own. It's never been in the New Testament by any works of our own. By grace are you saved through faith. That's what he quotes in Ephesians 2. That's the only thing that can save you is grace. Now, if that's true, in Christ, there are uh, there, the reality is, is that we are made righteous by the blood of Christ. Isn't that true? And everybody said, I'm waiting for it on my phone. We are made righteous. We are made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yet... Yet, there are many uh, commandments and many scriptures that are given to us that teach us that we need to pursue righteousness. 
For instance, in Matthew, uh, on the Mount of Beatitudes, Jesus taught the people, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we're made righteous, we're made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ, but yet he, he cautions us, he commands us to seek righteousness. So I need to say it this way. In Christ, we are, um, or let me, let me, I'm, I'm just trying to say it the right way. I have to become by conduct what I am by position. My position in Christ is one who is accepted in the beloved. But I'm telling you that we need to become by conduct the way we are, same way we are as, as in our position. Our position in Christ is sure. And we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to conduct myself the way that reflects that righteousness in my own life. Okay? So, Let's let's look in the scripture, and uh, I hope I have this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Yeah, I think I have it here. Um, Paul uh, refers to this this way. He says, for other foundation can no man lay. Thank you for your amens there. For other foundation can no man lay other than one is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation... I need you to just slow down and think about this for a moment now. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. Now, I need you to look at it this way. If, if my life is composed of all these things, a whole pile of things that we have in life, now, remember, sin isn't there. God dealt with sin. But if my work and my money and my house and my children and my ministry and everything else is all put in a pile and all of it is set on fire, what's valuable is what's left. Because if the wood and the hay and the stubble and so forth are all burned up, there's no great loss. But if we come down to the bottom of the pile and we find silver and gold there, which the fire did not consume, then let me tell you something. God's rewards are based upon what we do with what God's given us in life. Now, let's look at this, look at this scripture again. If any man build upon this foundation, in other words, the work that we do in Christ if it's gold, silver, stone, wood, hay, and stubble, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try or consume every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. He shall receive a reward. So God takes, in other words, God's looking at our lives. Not because of shame. He's not trying to. Uh, he, he's not trying to make you feel bad because you didn't do enough in life, but rather he's trying to uh, determine what you did with what what he gave you, and or what he put in your possession, which is the revelation of the word of God and the uh, gospel of peace that he put in your hand. Remember the parables that when uh, Jesus told us, he said there was a husbandman who gave his 
servants so much. One got five, one got three, and one got one. And then he comes back and takes reckoning and says, what did you do with the five and what did you do with the three? This is the same idea. And here's Paul now, and he's saying, at the end of your life, when everything is piled together, what's remaining? And if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, if the thing that you did was according to the will of God and according to the timing of God and all the rest of it, he said he shall receive a reward. So remember, it's the father's heart to give reward to his children. He's not trying to shame us here because we didn't do enough, but rather he's celebrating what it is you have done. So remember now, you may think, well, uh, you know, Brother Barry, you've you've traveled the world and you've printed books and all the rest of it. You know, I mean, we and I want to say this, that it's not me that prints the books. I, op- I operate Vision Books, and by the way, uh, there's lots and lots of books being printed there. Everything is moving slow in countries except China now because of the virus and many offices are closed for uh, you know, importing goods and all the uh, businesses that are related to that. That's, that's the slow-moving part, uh, but there are books being, that are being printed. But let me tell you something. All the money that, that goes to the printing of books doesn't come out of my pocket. It, it, it comes from people who contribute and give a mission offering. And let me tell you something. You share in that blessing. Whatever blessing is comes from that, that's a bit of your gold and your silver that comes. That is not when you, when you, distri- when you take your responsibility to support uh, something as precious as the word of God being printed, that's not hay and stubble. Let me tell you, that's precious stones that you're collecting in your in your life. When, when you respond to the word of God and you're a good mother or you're a good provider as a man for your household or whatever else, some of you are, uh, you know, I think of you folks that are caregivers for your elderly parents. Uh, let me tell you, that's something that's precious to God. That's not hay and stubble. That is the obedience to the fourth commandment. That's a wonderful, precious thing. And we have many in the church that are doing that. Uh, you know, when you people who are in the medical field now, who are at the hospital and caring for people and facing the dangers of infection all the time. And I, I let me tell you something. The test, even the testing for COVID-19 is such an unpleasant thing. And people, you, you people who are medical people go into the hospital or clinic or, or, or uh, on an ambulance every day and face the possibility of infection, let me tell you, that's a faithfulness to your calling that God will honor. And and those, you're, you can see, you're accumulating things here. And, and when we do those things by faith, when we do those things because we know it's a calling of God, there's a reward because it's the Father's heart to reward people who operate by faith. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And we seek him by faith. We do the things that God's given to us by faith. If you're a deacon, if you're a song leader, if you're a musician, if you're lending your gifts to God, all of those things God sees. All of those things we do by faith, God sees. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. It's easy to think about Brother Branham receiving a, a reward. It's easy to think probably like uh, you know a missionary receiving a reward. But if you're standing in your pulpit, if you're if you're in your pulpit tonight, like I am here, this is my pulpit. Uh, and maybe not very fancy and a little blurry, but this is my pulpit. And being here, that's the, I, I, I do this by faith. I, I minister the word of God because I believe by faith this is my calling in life. 
and those things are accumulated and God desires to reward you even if we're not rewarded in this life there is a lasting reward that God desires to give it's not shaming you for what you haven't done it's rather celebrating what you have done and celebrating who you are in Christ and so this is what Jesus tells us to do to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so uh I am in Christ already what I am, but what I do with the revelation he gives determines the level of reward that he imparts to his children. Now, I'll tell you something. Reward is not always on our minds, but it's always in the heart of God. We don't often think of, well, I'm going to go to church today to play the play the drums or, you know, be the piano player or be a deacon today because I know God's going to bless me eternally. We don't often think that way, but it's always on the heart of God because this is what he desires to do. When we take away all the things that really don't matter out of your life, what is it that you've done with what I've given you? so that God can reward you based on that. And I want to say to you today, I believe that God sets up things to allow you to make choices so you can receive rewards. I believe that God sets things up to allow us to make choices by faith so you can receive rewards. Now, let me give you a couple of examples here. First of all, in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 15 is a story of Abraham taking Isaac up onto the mountain. You remember that? And he's got that knife held up like this over Isaac's uh, throat, and he's ready to obey God to the fullest extent, and the angel stays his hand, and he says, Abraham, now I know you love me. That's a situation completely set up by God to allow Abraham to make the right choice so that God can reward him. And then if you if you look at that story in Genesis 22, verse 15, and it, and it ends in 18 there on the mountain, but right after that, God goes on to promise Abraham. He says, hey, I'm going to bless you and your seed and the seed that follows after you and uh, you know your generations and so on will be blessed and all the other good things that will come. So in other words, that's something that's very, very precious to God because he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You remember the time that Brother Branham was uh, told it was going to be a trap for him in Connecticut. And uh, now he wasn't told about Connecticut, but you remember he was in Connecticut and there was a couple there on the front row. I've mentioned it several times. And uh, the angel, you know, the, the deacons tried to stop him and Brother Branham tried to stop the couple. They were acting immorally and inappropriately in church. And uh, the angel comes right to Brother Branham, and the voice says, whatever you say will be done. If you say that they'll die, they'll be, they'll be packed out of here, and so on. And Brother Branham's thinking, Lord, what should I do? What should I do? And he makes this statement, I forgive you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately they, you know, they dropped to their knees and wept and so forth, you know, and it was over. And, and it's a situation set up by God, and now Brother Bannon can make a choice. He can bring judgment or he can extend grace, and he extends grace. It's the right thing. He passed the test, and God blesses him. That's gold tried in the fire. That's silver that makes it through. That's precious stones that God uh, heaps up for him so that he has uh, a reward that's waiting for him. 
You remember the story in Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8, and the, the Shunammite woman. You remember that? And they're looking at uh, Elijah going across every day, and uh, you know they're seeing him and saying, you know, he's a real man of God. I wonder, I wonder is, is it hard for him to get a motel, or maybe we should build him a little room so that he can sleep in. And why don't we do that, honey? Why don't we, uh, you know, take some of our money and let's build a little room in the side of our house and and a little uh, little washstand there, and you know he can rest himself on his journey. Why don't we do that? And and you know all it is is a is a little situation that's set up, and they're making the right choice. And as soon as they make the right choice, God says, "Oh, I'm going to bless that woman." And you know what He gives her? He gives her a son. And not only does He give her a son, He raises that son from the dead when the enemy tries to strike that son. You remember the little boy falls dead in the field, and she runs and gets Elijah and uh, takes him and puts him on his bed, and the child is blessed. God sets these things up. This is constantly on the mind of God. We don't think so much about it. That woman, I don't believe, said, you know what? Let's build a little house for Elijah because I believe that God's going to really reward me greatly if I do that. The Bible doesn't say that. It just says she looks at this opportunity, and she says, how can I do good for the man of God? She does. And then in time, the man of God, now he's thinking and saying, what could we do for this woman here? Well, she didn't have any children. Great. Let's pray that God would give her a child. So the son is born. This is the way that the heart of God operates. When we seek first the kingdom of God, we're not seeking treasures here ourselves. Our priority is not treasures here. Our priority is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the rest of this will be added on to us. And it's not, uh, it's not because uh, we're uh, adding the increase. It's God who's adding the increase. Now, let me just say this in the, on the contrary side. When you start to run after things that are not according to the will of God, then you can actually accumulate things out of season. And if you're accumulating things out of season, that's as bad, that's as bad as accumulating things that are not yours. So we we think about this, uh, for instance, let, let's, let's illustrate it this way. Greed is something that you pull to yourself out of season or out of sequence, something that's not meant to be yours yet, but you pull it into the present season. And in the Bible, the word greed and the word robbery are very close together. So something may even be yours eventually, but when you get greedy and you pull it to yourself out of season, it usually doesn't do you very much good. So you remember the the prodigal son. He's got an inheritance coming to him, but he pulls it to him out of season. He's not, he's not dishonest. I mean, he's not, he's not stealing it, but he's pulling something to himself out of season and he winds up squandering it all because it's really not meant to come to him yet. In other words, it's not God's cycle. It's not God's season. And so therefore God can't honor that. And that is all burned up. So the very thing that could be a blessing is considered in the wood, hay, and stubble pile, and it just gets burned up or it gets squandered uh, by the prodigal son and his friends. So it, it, it gets pulled into his life, but not as a reward. It's something that could have been a cause of rejoicing, but now it begins to eat away at him because he realizes, wow, I've wasted something that could really have been beneficial to me long term. So you understand the difference. 
when we're doing things according to God's way, it it can be it can turn into gold and silver and precious stones. But when we pull something into our life out of season, or we pull something into our life that's not ours, it's it's not going to be a blessing. So you think about marrying out of out of the timing of God, marrying out of the sequence of God, marrying somebody you're not qualified to marry, or whatever else. The thought is right. And it may eventually be something for you down the road, but it should happen in God's time. Otherwise, it's not going to be a blessing because the Father's heart is always to bless you. And he's interested in that. He's interested in your spiritual growth. Now, let's just let's just kind of look at this. There's the, uh, Genesis 22 there and, and uh, the examples that I gave you. But I want to draw your attention to the message you're trying to do God a service. I hope that makes sense to you. I'm, uh, I, I, I hope that gives you something to, to think about. I can't wait till we come back to church and all of you amen for real. This is, this is going to be wonderful. Let me draw your attention to this message, doing God is, trying to do God a service out of being his will. Brother Branham comes along and gives us some very specific advice here. Now, I want you to follow what he says. This is 1965. He's talking about trying to do God a service, and the basis of his sermon is built upon this idea when David wanted to bring the ark into Jerusalem, but it wasn't the right time. He didn't consult Nathan the prophet. So he thought it would be good. The people thought it would be good, but it was not the will of God. So he's bringing something into his ministry, something into his life, and what should have been a blessing became a curse because a man died. So now, Brother Branham is telling us how not to do something uh, and get out of the will of God. All right? So he's, he's first he's illustrating how not to do it. He says, notice in following God, I want you to kind of jot this in your mind. To keep God's commandments, do anything right for God, to do a certain thing, a service correctly, there's five musts. Wow, this is great. This is interesting. Look at this again. To keep God's commandments, to do anything right for God, to do God a service correctly, and those are all things we need to know, there's five things you must do. Now, David was doing God a service, doing everything he knew to do, except leaving off God. So he wanted to do something right for God. He was not, didn't have an evil intent. He didn't have uh, something for his own gain. He wanted to bring the ark into Jerusalem, and he wanted to have it as a center uh, of worship for the people in the center of the country, which was Jerusalem. He, those things were all right and good. But he he left off consulting God. That's what he's referring to. He was doing something was right, something good for the people, something good for the church, but there's five musts. No matter how sincere a man may be in doing it, doing God a service, this, these five must be there. So whether it's bringing the ark into the city, whether it's you know getting married, whether it is moving to a place or whatever else, you know, whatever decisions that you must make, or maybe you want to start a church or something like whatever it is, there are five musts that you have to pay attention to. Are you ready? Here they are. I'm going to summarize them very quickly. Number one, first, it must be his time to do it, not yours. It must be according to his word. 
that has been spoken, not your word, and not the word that you think God has said, but it's got to be according to his spoken word. Thirdly, it must be by the person he has chosen to give it and to do it. It must be by the person he has chosen to give it and to do it. So, for example, David wanted to build a house for God. And God said, no, you've shed too much blood. I'm going to give it to your son. Well, David couldn't turn around and say, well, yeah, hey, I'm a man after your own heart. So, therefore, I think I should be the one to do it. David couldn't do that. It had to be by the person who God chose to give and to do it. Fourthly, it must come first to his prophets. And the word of God must come to his prophets, according to Amos 3.7. And then the prophet must be vindicated by the word of God. So again, since we're hanging with David here, uh, the the prophet had to be the one consulted. And the prophet was had to be a vindicated prophet, which Nathan was. And it had to be according to God's written word and all the other principles had to line up. So when you, when your, when your decisions are guided by these five musts, then let me tell you, you're, you're, you're actually producing gold that's going to last. You're producing silver and precious stones that are going to last. You're, you're actually putting wealth in, in treasures that will not rot or rust or thieves will break in and steal. You're making investments, in other words. You can see that when you try to uh, divert from God's plan, like, for instance, Dathan and Korah, they're out there in the wilderness, and they're trying to divert the people back to Egypt. They're trying to get a following themselves. Uh, You know, they're trying to do things that are contrary to God's will. You know what? It just gets burned up. It just gets swallowed up in the earth. There's nothing comes of that. There's nothing good that happens as a result of that. So those are the kinds of things that Brother Manum is illustrating to us that must be according to the five musts. Here's an example. God told Balaam that he was a prophet, and he was a prophet. Don't go down. But the influence of these other men caused him to do contrary to what God said to do, and it became a curse instead of a revival. So what what's God going to do with that? He's going to burn it up, right? There's nothing left. All of us denominations are the same. We're all the same. All you people like my people. We can intermarry one among the other so we can have a real ecumenical council. God cursed the thing. Okay, that's not God's written word. That's not the right. That's not the right way of approaching things. And that sin was was never forgiven Israel. It stayed with them the rest of their days, and they perished in the wilderness with it, because they didn't take God's provided way by His vindicated way of doing it. My goodness, that's a powerful thing. So they never, they never had that leave them at all. It stayed with them all the way through. So remember now, it's really easy to think, well, if I do everything right, God's going to reward me and I've got a lot of stuff in my life. Maybe I have a lot of money or I have a lot of things or I have a big church or something else. It's really easy if you don't think spiritual that we can reduce the leadership and the blessings of God down to just material blessings and more stuff. But really, what our heart is bent on, our heart is bent on, is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then it's God's part to add the other things to our lot and and to see that those rewards follow them that believe so that so that we can enjoy them later in, in eternity. Now, I, I want to see if I can pull up a quote here um, where Brother Branham said, no, I'm sorry, just let me see if I can get it here. Um, Bear with me just a moment. 
No, sorry, it's it's not there. So let's so let me drop back, or we'll we'll eventually come to it here. You remember on on Sunday I talked a little bit about Colossians chapter three that if ye then be risen with Christ, we seek those things which are above, and <clears throat> it is a it is in a sense a uh, we could we could interpret this for instance as a setting of priorities, and for us even in the time that we're living in like a resetting of priorities that everything is his. And this is all about his lordship and his leadership that we consider him to be Lord. And so therefore what he says becomes the will of God to us. No matter how we would view the circumstance and we would think, well, you know, um, we're going to we're going to take thing, matters into our own hands now because we live in an economic turndown. Hey, the promises are still true, right? No, the Bible hasn't changed because we live in a time of a virus. God said, "I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread." And so God's not going to turn His back on you so that you've got to fend for yourself. He said, "I'll never leave you nor forsake you." So the Bible doesn't change because circumstances change. And I've said that many times. The, the priorities become important to us, especially when they're out of line or out of whack. And God will jolt us, even, even with the world. He'll, now, the world will respond differently. But the, but the people of God will respond when God shakes the world by bringing us back to our first love, by bringing us back to the right priority. And we, we realize that the things that we need to invest in are things that are eternal. They are things that uh, God has determined for us. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether the world passes away. This indeed is the will of God for us. Therefore, the best thing that we can do is invest things into God's hands. We can give things into his hand and be a, be a sower, if you like, uh, so that God can bring a great harvest in your life. So when we obey the word of God and we, for instance, we pay our tithing, when we obey the word of God and we apply the token in our household, when we obey the word of God and we always use the right uh, moral compass in our life, you know, in other words, we're, we're following things that are appropriate uh, in our lives. We're, we're taking away things out of our household that are not uh, appropriate for us to see or read or listen to or do or allow our children to be in, th- in, a, in things that are questionable and see their hearts, you know, be won over to those things. Could be sports, could be anything, anything else. And we realign ourselves back to the Word of God. Let me tell you something. God will honor those things that you're you're re-sowing in your life and bringing them back to a place where they uh, where, where they really should be. And that's what God's heart really is. You remember now, he's a pruner. The husband waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Growth, growth calls for pruning. So when when we see growth, even natural growth, God's not afraid to take the pruner to our lives and cut it back, not because he doesn't approve of growth, but growth implies pruning because he's interested in even bringing more into our 
into our lives or bring, making us more fruitful, if you like. So God has his ways of doing that. And we need to learn to navigate during those times when God seems to allow certain things to come into our life that clip back what we held on to as progress. We have to learn to navigate through loss. We have to learn to navigate through betrayal. We have to learn to survive in times of disappointment. We have to learn how to stand even in the face of criticism. Because in this life, there are seasons we go through where all of those things are evident. And there are things, seasons we go through where things are more peaceful, things are more placid, Everyone seems to be with you and patting you on the back. And then there are seasons of loss. There are seasons of betrayal when people will say things about you. Let me tell you something. If we can trust him in times of loss, you'll trust him in times of abundance. If you can trust him in times of betrayal, you will find the right attitude when it comes to times of approval. If you can trust him in times of disappointment, Think about this. If you can trust him in times of disappointment, you're going you're gonna to trust him also in times of prosperity. If we have the right attitude in one, we'll probably have the right attitude in the other. And so God allows things to actually be pruned out of our life because he wants to make sure we maintain a proper attitude for when things change, because they do. The pendulum is continually swinging in our lives because all, God's always interested in spiritual growth. God's always interested in, in making you the kind of character that will inherit the kingdom and be able to fit over there. Your job is to seek first that kingdom and his righteousness. Let God take care of the reward. Let God take care of the blessing. Your job is to seek that uh, the blessing in the, in the kingdom of God. So that's the whole idea. Lean not to your own understanding. Brother Bram says, remember one thing, you've got to die in life. No matter how much education you got, no matter how much culture, you've got to face death because it is written, man must die after that, the judgment. Now watch, watch this, is very interesting what he says. Death is not so bad. Coming to the judgment is the bad part. When a believer dies, Brother Larry just slipped away from us. It's bad enough from our perspective, but precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Suffering is over. He's entered into the joys of the Lord. He now he now inherits a body that is perfect. He's with Brother Luther, Brother uh, Greg, all the other saints that have crossed over on the other side. He's He's got eternal peace, youth, strength, a body that never gets sick, knows no pain. And for us, we look at death as a, as a sad thing, and, and, and it is on this side. Brother Bram's telling us something very important here. Death is not so bad. Coming to the judgment is the bad part. Isn't it wonderful to die knowing you're not going to face a judgment? I mean, that's a wonderful thing. But to face a judgment now, that's a, that's a different thing altogether. God is not going to inquire how much schooling you got when you get here on earth. In other words, being tried by God, he's not going to ask how much schooling you got when you're on earth how much knowledge you accumulated, whether you got your Bachelor of Art or whether uh, whichever degree you might have been even as a minister, that's not going to be required of you. Watch. It's going to be required of you what you did about the understanding of God's word. 
that's where your requirement comes because that. Look at what he said. What's going to be required of you is what you did about the understanding you had of the word of God. That's going to determine whether things are gold and silver or precious or whether things are wood, hay, and stubble. So what God's going to ask is what did you do with the things I gave you? And did they last through the fire? Did they last? Did they did they come to you in the right season? And did they did they uh, become a blessing? Did they multiply in your life and so forth? Did they last through the burning? Did they last through the fire that that uh, God allows at, at the end of your life when everything is accumulated? Can I reward you? In other words, because that's what God really wants. Remember now, what you did with your understanding of God's word is what you personally apply. It's what you did if you knew that you should have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was required of you. God gave you that teaching. God gave you that ministry that made that plain and clear. What did you do with it? Did that word now become hay and stubble to be burnt up because nobody acted on it? Or did it turn into golden, a golden thing because you did act on it? And it became a part of your life. That's where the requirement comes. Your education's fine, but the word of God is life. My word is life. And to know him is life. And he said, know him. He is the word. So you can only know him by the word for he is the word. And that's the only way you'll know him is by the word. So we know it's God when it comes from his word. What you're going to be, what's going to be required of you is what you did with the understanding of God's word. That's what he wants to see in your life. And that's the thing he will reward you based upon. Watch now. <clears throat> in Faith is Our Victory in 1958, I like this little, little illustration. He said, these things may be all right. Now, if you read the preceding paragraph, he's talking about the limit of American ambition. And he's talking about like uh, the American dream to own a house, to have a car, to have new clothes, to have a good education, to be as well off as the Joneses next door, whoever the Joneses are. He said that now seems like the limit of the American ambition. And he says, you know, that's all right. It's all right to have a house. It's all right to have a car and all of that. That's okay. But there's a higher ambition in the human life than those things. And Christians should set their affection on higher ambitions. That's what Colossians 3.3 3 says. The advantage of knowing God is that you have a higher aiming place, if you like. You have an, a higher vision than just accumulated stuff in this American way of life. Because you know what? All that's going to burn. If you get a nice house, if you have a nice car, if you have multiple cars, if you have a lot of money, nothing wrong with that, as long as it's gotten, you know, honestly and so forth, and you've worked for it and all the rest of it, nothing wrong with that. But you know what? It's all going to be left behind. It's all going to be burned in the pile. And there's no eternal quality or value to that. A Christian should set their affection on higher ambitions. So the American ambition and the Christian ambition are now two different things. The Christian ambition is to set our uh, ambitions on, on set our uh, our hearts on things above, our affection on things above, not things below. I think it would pay us all to sit down and wonder why we are here in the first place. You are not here just to accumulate stuff. You are not here just to 
live comfortably. You are not here just to be well-known. And ever who, who was kind enough to bring us here, capital W, we ought to consider it, ask him what he would have us to do, the purpose of us coming to fulfill, what he has purpose for us. But we seem to be just wanting to keep up with the world. You see how easy it is. We can fall into the trap of just keeping up with everybody else because that's the American ambition. The Christian ambition says, Lord, you place me here. You place me here in this time. What do you want me to do? How can I fulfill your will? What have you purposed for my life? I'm here for more than just an education. I'm here for more than just to marry a pretty girl. I'm here for more than just developing a business. There's a will for my life. And I want to know that, Lord. And, and this is where we would spend time with him and we would pray and seek his face and, and so forth. The Christian ambition desires to, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that my life can match what, what takes place in the kingdom and I can live in a way that's pleasing to God. And you know what? That is precious jewels in the sight of God. Those are the things that are going to last. But we seem to be just wanting to keep up with the world. My goodness, what a futile and useless thing it is today to keep up with the world. Second Corinthians 4, Paul writes it like this, and I'm going to conclude. For we which, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and that word temporal means seasonal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to make sure that what we see is limited. It will break down. It will only last for a time period. What's supposed to happen is that we are operating from the principles that are found in an invisible realm, an eternal realm, a realm where eternity carries on and is not controlled by time, that we who are born of that kingdom, if then ye be risen with Christ, where he sitteth on the right hand of God above, if we are dominated by and led by and inspired by that kingdom, then it's going to have a fulfillment in this life and it operates from that unseen realm, but it's going to manifest itself in this realm. So I always remember when my, when my brother Mark was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, never having been to a Protestant church and had long hair and that's the way we lived and dressed back in that day. And all of a sudden he, he realizes, you know what? I need to get myself a haircut. I need to, uh, I, I need to do this uh, and I need to find myself a barbershop. And we had a struggle to find ourselves a barbershop where people, you know, actually got a haircut, like a real haircut, like a man should have. And I, I remember asking him, I remember being in the house when he came back and we, we almost didn't let him in the house because he looked like a total stranger. Uh, 
when he came in the house and we asked him, why, why did you get a haircut like that? I mean, like mine is now, you know, like kind of short and, and like it is. Why did you get a haircut like that? I expected him fully, in my thinking, I expected him fully to say, because that's the way the people in that church were where I was baptized, or that's the way Brother Branham was, or that's the way, uh, you know, people dress who follow the message. That's what I fully expected him to say. This is the dress code. This is the, you know, we're conforming to that, and this is the way it is. And he didn't blink. He simply said, because the Bible says, isn't it? Isn't it unnatural for a man to have long hair? And I had never heard anybody answer according to the scripture. In other words, his motivation's coming from another realm. It's coming from an unseen realm. And he's got he's got the word of God, and God is quickening that word, which is invisible, but yet it manifests itself on this side. And that's the way our that's the way our revelation is expressed. So, in other words, let me go back to what I said in the beginning here. My position in Christ is one who is someone who is righteous by the blood of Christ. That's my position. But the conduct should match that righteousness. The conduct of the believer should match that righteousness. So it's not good enough to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm made uh, clean by the blood of Jesus Christ so I can live any way I want to. Well, you know what? that would make somebody doubt whether you actually were under the blood of Christ and whether you actually were born again. Now, remember, being born again puts his life in behind the veil, and it causes you know you to think differently, act differently, speak differently, dress differently, you use your money differently, all of that. When a person, when a person who by position is righteous, then their conduct is going to match their position. My conduct in life should match my position in Christ. That's the advantage of knowing God, that he actually lets you know you're made righteous by the blood of Christ, but then also empowers us and inspires us to live in a way that matches our position in Christ. That's a great advantage. So that my, my, my position is not in doubt. My position is constantly being aligned with my position in Christ. My conduct uh, is constantly being adjusted, transformed to match my position in Christ. God's not going to change that position. That position in Christ is made perfect by the blood of Christ. He sees me as white, never having sinned in the first place. Now, Lord, make my conduct to match that. That's the idea. What a great thing that is. Lord, may, <laughs> may you help us all be that way. Give us that desire, that burning desire if he be if he be risen in Christ, as as Paul writes here, he said, if he be risen from above, he said, then set your affection on things that are above. That's a wonderful that's a wonderful challenge to every one of us. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We're thankful, Lord, for the for the revelation you give to us. There are so many advantages, Lord, for us knowing you. There's so many great things, Lord, that you have sent our way. That Lord, you put us, you've made a, a, an eternal connection between us and an eternal realm, so that we don't walk by things that are visible. We're not inspired by things that are visible. We're actually inspired by the impulse of another kingdom that now manifests itself in this world through us. 
And Lord, I, I just thank you for, for that happening, Lord. May your, may your grace, your mercy, Lord, be extended to us today. Help us, I pray, Lord, to just overcome our pride, our stubbornness, our refusal to change. Lord, our lack of forgiveness, maybe, Lord, our own uh, stubborn ways, and Lord, the things that we hold on to that even may hurt other people. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you give us the courage, Lord, to be able to yield to the influence of that invisible realm, that, Lord, we might truly be able to reflect the cause of Christ in this world. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that I know you. I just pray that you, Lord, would use me. Lord, at the end of the day, Lord, there would be just a pile of gold and silver and precious stones, Lord. Things that that I've done according to your will. Things that I've done, Lord, that have been pleasing to you. My obedience to you, Lord, would stand and it would stand the fires of God. I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you'd so give me a heart full of passion to follow you, Lord, that the, the world would never mistake that truly there was a Christian going by. We saw that in the life of a prophet, Lord, in this day. He was not, not enamored with the, with the pull of the world and the denominations and the people and the money that he was given, the opportunities that men gave him to minister in the great nerve centers of the world. Lord, he refused the great platforms and stages of our culture. And Lord, the opportunities he had for greatness and television and all of those things, Lord, he just submitted himself to you. And he was influenced by another kingdom that was invisible to the rest of the world, but very real to him. Lord, may we be, in a sense, may we be guided by the same principles and checked by the same Holy Spirit when we go astray. I ask, O oh God, that you would help us, Lord, not to wait for the emergency, but Lord, that we would be inspired to become desperate to change because we read it in your word. Guide us in your will, I pray. Heal the sick. Touch those who are discouraged, Lord. Lift up the hands that hang down. And I just commit the people, their ways to you now. Bless our medical workers and their families, I pray. And Lord, we just pray you'd comfort those who mourn. I give you our people. I give you the people that are listening tonight and ask your blessing upon them and my own family. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you for coming. Lord willing, we'll see you on the weekend. God bless.